give me one shot here on a blue chip stock, believe me, Kevin, the only problem I'm gonna have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is gonna go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analyst, favorite draft analyst. It's your boys from the NBA Draft Show on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast feed. My name is Corey Tullaba, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Albert. Garbage time, Gim. Albert, what is going on, man? Um, Everything is going on, Corey. Life is going on. Basketball's happening. We're coming off the heels of the Super Bowl, so a lot of exciting stuff. But today's a really special, meaningful day for me. Corey, we do, we've done this pod how long now like three plus years right like even pre no ceilings we've been doing this pod now and we've had a countless number of guests and players and nba guys join us and this is the first time we're having someone on the pod who actually looks kind of like me so this is super meaningful to me but um just want to take the opportunity to welcome in coach marshall cho uh, coach, just uh, if you can give us a little intro um, about you know who you are and what you're up to, what you're working on, and kind of a little bit of your story for our our listeners out there. Uh, thanks, fellas. That was a phenomenal intro. You, you, you've done this. You you've gotten your reps in it. So I'm uh, honored to be hopping on with you. Get you professionals. Um, uh, I'm a high school coach by nature by profession, just finished my eighth year at Lake Oswego. And when I say just, you know, I actually resigned from my position in mid-April uh, following last year's Hoop Summit, shortly after the Hoop Summit. So it's been it's been about 10 months of just kind of a, my pivot year, trying to figure out what I want to do next. Um, prior to Lake Oswego High School, I coached at University of Portland for a couple of years. I thought maybe the D1 basketball scene would be the route for me professionally um ended up not being so you know decided to you know hop back into the high school world to prioritize my family being around my kids um being around you know my parents who are nearby and you know my mom is now entering her 10th year of fighting stage four breast cancer so that's pretty humbling but also um just a reminder that you know i've been able fortunate to kind of prioritize family at this point um but prior to university of portland uh, and Lake Oswego, I, the, the 10 years prior to that were spent at the Matha Catholic, being an assistant coach for three years at a powerhouse program. I lived in Mozambique, Africa for three years, uh, my first three years of marriage and, you know, was doing all sorts of basketball. Like you can imagine, like coaching little children to like, you know, grown uh, like grownups, um, semi-professional players, you know, high school, ki- you know, starting a high school program. So got to wear a bunch of different hats in my short three years in Africa. Um, and so, yeah, this is my 20th year officially of coaching um, at some some level. Uh, currently, I am the eighth grade gold one coach at Lake Ridge Middle School, which is ironically the, the rival of Lake Oswego High School. So I'm back in the youth basketball scene, my full circle, <laughs> being an eighth grade middle school coach. Um, dealing with, you know, club coaches who are running zone press the whole time and, you know, all, all the shenanigans you can imagine, but, um, but it's been, it's been a blast and uh, I'm looking forward to what, you know, what's ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to cut in because one of the questions I wanted to ask you, <laughs> you brought it up early now working but, with the middle schools. Um, yeah. What are your feeling on, you know, in the youth basketball, especially that age group, yeah. running zones and and you know mm-hmm. presses and, and and stuff like that yeah you know it, i just had this conversation with coach showalter don showalter who you know is now right he works with coaches through the usa basketball youth um system he's also you know has a heavy you know heavy influence on our junior national team program and you know i was just having this conversation with him the other day he was asking about how my year was going and i was kept you know uh, recapping what I've experienced so far. And one of the things that, that I see a lot is, you know, we have a 10 tournament minimum. So there's a little bit of that groundhog's day, you know, in terms of, Oh, this is another weekend. We know we're going to get four games. Is this a tournament we're trying to win? Or is this a tournament we're trying to get reps in? But all that to say, you know, we got about a month left in the season and I've had 34 games and 20 practices. 
So I, I bring up Coach Showalter because, you know, we're, and maybe this also just goes back to a bigger conversation about why the best players in the world, at least at the top of the pyramid that we're seeing, the Luka Doncic, the Jokic, right? Uh, even Giannis to an extent, right? Even though he didn't get the kind of development that, you know, the other pl players got in Europe um, prior to get into the States. But, you know, I'm, a lot of these games, I'm, I've, what I found myself saying is the, the things that I should be like preaching and reinforcing in practice when i really take a sit like take a seat back and listen to what's coming out of my mouth i'm running practice during these games mm -hmm. the things that i'm telling them to do hey jump under the weak side right box out you know high hand close out all these things that should be stressed in the in a practice setting as a high school coach which you know even for high school public high school coaches i i've had two practices to one game right in the state of oregon we have 24 games if you make it all the way to the very champion, you know, final day of the season, that's 29 games. But in a given season in high school, we have about 65 to 70 practices. And that's if you're counting the shoot game day shooting rounds, which a lot of programs don't do. But I did because I came from a college setting. Right. Um, so I was really trying to get that ratio of maybe two practices to one game. Right. But then for, for my high school program that I, I think we ran very successfully. You know, we're talking about the fall workouts. We're talking about breakfast club morning workouts. And so those ratios got to be something more reasonable to resembling a European model of four practices to a game. One well, in, in a youth game, you know, youth uh, system. I mean, I'm lucky if I get in the gym three times a week. Right. So there's two guaranteed practices. And if that's the case, you know, there's many weeks when I go when I practice for two and play four games. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then you see, I mean, don't get me started on the guys who are just sitting in zone defenses for eighth graders. You know, I, um, I think by eighth grade, getting into high school basketball, you should have some some balance. You know, for me, I think the I, I try to keep with the 80-20 rule. I'm going to just, even if it's going to cost my team a game, I'm going to stay in man about 80% of the time. But I'm also going to throw out some zone 20% of the time so that even even my own players know how to adjust from jumping from a man man defense to zone defense. But also just to just to expose them to it because I don't know what their high school coach is going to do once they get them for four years. So it's all about that exposure. But the development piece of it definitely takes a backseat when there are so many games, you know, being forced fed upon you every weekend. <sighs> What an answer. Um, <laughs> Corey, I hope that's the answer you're looking for. Yeah, no, I, yeah. it's it, it's abundantly clear, like, because, um, you know, like, you know, New York, all, all the kids are playing AAU. And, um, you know, it, it's to the point where, you know, when you get to the high school team, even the basic principles of a, a man defense, so many of the kids struggle with, mm -hmm. you know, anything where they're not, like, directly on the ball, right? Like, and it takes time um, to really hammer that home and make kids feel comfortable. And, you know, coach, like if a lot of times you have one kid who doesn't understand, you know, where they're supposed to be, the entire defense can break down. Right. And, and, you know, all of a sudden guys are scrambling. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really difficult um, in that regard. And then, you know, where, where we're at, where we're coaching, you know, a lot of the middle school coaches are, not necessarily basketball people. They're people that, you know, in the public school system, maybe a phys ed teacher who they need to fill a spot. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, to just be like, all right, we're going to sit in a two, three all game. Uh, yep. But I've always thought, you know, it, it's hard to even run a successful zone if you don't understand man principles fully. Like I think the best zones are, you know, people who are fundamentally sound even in, you know, uh, a man. So, uh, yeah, I just, I, I think it's the, the point you made about the, the inverse ratio of practices in overseas versus, versus here is just so important because we've emphasized this gameplay, gameplay, gameplay. And, um, I don't know if it, it seems like it's not a positive thing necessarily, um, you know, to, to yeah, run those guys I out and, right injuries and you know where wear and tear and it's 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 hard yeah, and, and to be to be fair to like what you said to the middle school teacher who doesn't have that resource right and i think that's where if you if you're fortunate to be a part of a, a community where there is 
continuity and there is a connection between your fourth and fourth through eighth grade youth team, which I I've had the good fortune of having, and then having that feed up to our high school program, right? A lot of the suburbs, you can get that kind of setup. Um, having, you know, I taught a middle, uh, middle school math in New York City for six years. So I lived in mm -hmm. Central Harlem, 118th and Lenox, just, just, you know, wow. three blocks up from the kingdom. Um, and so I got to see some, you know, crazy summer, you know, summer outdoor games, you know, with teams coming from Dykeman and different pockets of the, you know, city up, up into just into my backyard. So that was, that was such an eye-opening experience. But I do remember I was, I taught at a charter school in Harlem and the kids that I had, you know, the team that I, that the very first team that I coached 20 years ago, made up of six to eight graders. And I try to teach my, you know, man to man concepts. And, you know, we, we didn't, we played very little zone, but at the end of it, you know, New York city, the kids are going to all, all over the, all over the place. And they, you know, there wasn't just one feeder program. They weren't just going to go to one high school, just up the street. Like they had options. Right. So, um, you know, I think that's where, if you are fortunate to have, um, you know, most public schools where you have a high school coach that's really dedicated and involved and takes an interest in the development into their youth program. I think you're, you're always going to have a leg up, right? Cause you, now you can hold your, you know, youth coaches a little bit more accountable, not just that, but just offer the support that they need. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, given the other constraints, I think it is, it's easy for us to sit on the ivory tower of <laughs> youth basketball czars, you know, and say, oh, you know, and stomp our feet and pound the tables and say, hey, you know, how bad is it here? But clearly it's not a puzzle that's easily solved. So mm -hmm. what, you know, it, it makes me, it begs a question, like, what are the major institutions, whether that's USA Basketball, whether that's the NBA, whether that's junior NBA by default, you know, of the organization, whether it's, you know, the NCAA even, <laughs> like, who can... Because there we have so many experts across, right? But who who will take that leadership role and say, hey, like here's a resource, use it. And and to that end, I think you know the organizations that I just mentioned have done their best. Um, but you know we also live in a world where everybody's an expert, so you need you know I think you need youth coaches that are also humble and coachable enough to say, hey, there's a resource that's out there actually. Let me let me take a look at it and see if I can put it to use. Yeah. Dude, first off, uh, Coach Corey and I were both from New York. Um, so to yeah. hear you know you talk about Harlem, my my mom had a business in Spanish Harlem for most of my childhood. I grew up in the Lower East Side, so um, to yeah. hear that is incredible. And I know Corey Corey still lives in New York. I live in Los Angeles now, but um, you know, just this conversation, you guys are both coaches. I'm not a coach. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Coach, uh, I. I'm one of those people who pretends to be an expert without actually being an expert, but I'm trying to get there. Um, but I, something that you brought up, Coach, your coaching history slash experience is incredibly extensive. Like if you were, if anyone of our listeners were to go on your website and to look at the description and your bio and what you've been through, what you've seen, who you've coached, where you've been, it's an incredible story, right? And just this conversation has me thinking because for Corey and I, you know, our main focus for No Ceilings um, in terms of our written work, our podcast, uh, video, whatever, all of it is just, you know, like co like college or overseas or something of that ilk to the NBA, right? But when we talk about development and growth, right, there's so many different stages to that. And you've seen, you mentioned you're coaching your son's eighth grade team. Um, you're, you've coached high school, college, division one, uh, Nike Hoop Summit last year, incredible hoodie or uh, sweater you're wearing right there. Um, but coach, from your experience and what you've seen, right, and you've even done this abroad, where do you feel like there's the biggest jump relative to like where, you know, a player is going from one stage to another, whether that's junior high to mm -hmm. high school, high school to college, college to NBA, because I feel like the easy answer will always be like, hey, like going to college to the NBA should be the hardest. But I mean, you've seen it all. So I, I, I kind of wanted to get some of your insight on that. And from your experience and what you've seen, where you feel like the biggest jump is and maybe more specifically why that is the case. Yeah, I, I don't think I have that answer that reinvents the wheel. I, I do think, you know, as you get to the top of the pyramid, like going from good to great, right? And going from great to whatever, you know, yeah. the the elite elite of the world, the Damian Lillards, the the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, the 
the Kobe Bryant's, right? I think that that jump is incredibly hard. But for the general public, I think if you really look at the statistics of how many high school kids play basketball, and then given that there's every year only two to three percent of that mass, you know, plays collegiately, I think that's probably the biggest jump. I would say that that people, and again, that I think that's where you know, not to just keep bashing this, this current ecosystem, but, you know, a lot of like, even for my eighth grade parents, you know, they, they become conditioned to watching weekend games. And so as I'm one hand, like screaming into the air about, you know, the practice to game ratios, like I'm not convincing most parents who've been conditioned from their youth child's youth program from fourth to eighth grade and come to eighth grade and say, nope, all of a sudden we're going to play half half the number of games. Like, oh, I would have a revolt on my hands. Mm. So I think some of it is like just how people have been conditioned. So you talk about these AAU programs, a lot of the parents have been conditioned to think that their son is the one who's going to be one of the 3% or two to 3% that plays, plays collegiately. And so I think just the truthful, honest conversations are really hard to have, you know? And I think what you guys do and write up on all these college prospects, whether the agents or the players themselves or the families they read it or not i mean who's to say right because a lot of these guys have gotten to where they are because of their utmost confidence in the in betting on themselves right and so who are you to tell them right and and that's really honestly like who are we to tell them you know there's been plenty of second round picks and and free agent signees who've gotten their first you know and second contracts right and that we may not have ever guessed because we couldn't measure what was in their heart um but to answer your question along with the way, I really do think the the jump from high school to college is so hard. Yeah. I went to watch a Division three basketball game just up the street from me. Lewis and Clark was playing University of Puget Sound. And I saw two of the players that I had coached against at the high school level here locally, two very good high school programs, Jesuit High School, which you guys all know about. Mike Dunleavy played it, and Eric Spolstra is an alum. He played there. And I saw a player that at the high school level was a pretty good player, you know, but he was playing under his legendary high school coaches system, Gene Potter, who won more state championships here in our state than anybody else. And he had a leash. And like, even for me, I, I would have never been able to tell that like watching this kid two years later had, you know, really just could shoot it was super skilled. And if he was just four inches taller, he would might as well be Reed Shepard, who mm -hmm. I just watched on TV for the first time was blown away. Right. And so it's it's it really there was two things that reminded me that basketball in our country is, you know, whether as we're lamenting, you know, current ecosystem the way it is, just because we're a country that celebrates the game and there's so much easy access to the game. I mean, there are so many good basketball players out there. And then you realize so much of it just again, it comes to ovarian lottery, you know, whether your mom had the genetic disposition to give birth to a son who is a plus four in his wingspan. And it's as simple as that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just, we, we produce so many players that, yeah. you know, um, it's going to work out at the end, I guess. For sure. I mean, uh, hearing that last part uh, is exciting for me. My wife is expecting, and uh, my wife has really long arms. <laughs> And um, I'm also a plus six in terms of my wingspan. So, You're a plus six. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm six two, oh. but my wingspan's about six eight. So um, hope, that's not normal. Yeah, yeah, not normal. But hopefully that extends to our daughter and she becomes something okay. incredible. Is what we're hoping for. But um, coach, it's something that I wanted to get into, and this is obviously for you know our listeners and our fans out there. But um, obviously the youth sports world is incredible. But we talk a lot about NBA prospects here, and um, and it's funny, really quickly, coach, what you mentioned yeah. before about like these second round guys and stuff, and who are we to tell them? I remember it, I I was reminded of a couple conversations we had last year with some prospects, right? We spoke to Jalen Clark from UCLA and Drew Peterson, USC, and just hearing how they talk too. like, I remember Jalen Clark mentioning to us how in high school, he was like a rock star, you know, and right. he, you know, had the ball in his hands and he was able to do so much. And then him getting to UCLA, it took him a couple of years to realize like, okay, I'm not in high school anymore. There's a new role for me etched out that if I'm not accepting and I don't realize what this is, then I, I'll never get a shot to do anything. And to his credit, he embraced his role. He continued to grow in the skill set that the coaching staff there with Coach Cronin and the rest of the staff 
what they asked him to do, he embraced it. He grew in it. He he improved the outside shooting, was an incredible defender, and they got taken in the second round even with the Achilles injury, you know? Right. So I, I think the point that you made is such a poignant point because it's so easy – it, it, sorry, not easy. It's the opposite. It's really difficult, I think, for these guys to come from their different contexts at whatever high school they're at, whether it's charter, public prep, whatever, to then go into a D1 program and be told you're going to ride the pine for a year or, you know, maybe you'll play a little bit. You'll play five minutes, you know, off air. We talked about guys like Justin Edwards and, you know, mm -hmm. Gary Duell and the different adjustments they've had in their freshman seasons. But right. with that being said, coach. Um, you had the incredible opportunity to be, you know, one of the coaches last season at the Nike Hoop Summit for the world team, worked yep. with Coach Canales. And, you know, just seeing Coach Canales was like near and dear to my heart as a lifetime Nick fan. And seeing him mm -hmm. there was really cool. And I know you yeah. got to have that great opportunity. So before we even get into like the nitty gritty of different players, wanted to kind of get, you know, your feedback on what that experience was like coaching with Coach Canales, with the other coaches there, and then seeing these world players and how they were coming from different contexts. Like a guy that um, I, I spoke to a couple of times, got to do a pod with like an Alex Tuhi, right, who's now mm -hmm. playing for the Sydney Kings. And, um, you know, you you had like Aiden Holloway there and Gary Dual, like we mentioned, Mackenzie Mbaku, like all these different players. What was that experience like coaching with those coaches with those players and just your overall experience there last season. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I'm biased, but I, I believe the hoop summit is the best postseason all-star game there is because it's the only one that truly matters because they keep records. Not that the McDonald's game or the Jordan brand classic or these other ones didn't, but you know, you're, you've, you've now we've reached a point where even at the NBA level, like they're talking about, Hey, in future all-star games, can we have a U.S. versus world setup? Right. And this the Hoop Summit game has been going on forever, you know, for decades now. Um, it, it was humbling for sure. And just a little bit of a background, you know, my first involvement with the Hoop Summit was back in 2012. So and that was, you know, being a support staff member with the USA basketball team. So that what that meant is, you know, right now the junior national team program has has become so such a machinery and an organization and and and. You know, they are U16, 17 teams haven't lost a game in international competition since its inception, right? Um, but, you know, back when I joined in 2012, there wasn't like a manager, right? It's support staff sounds cooler than like manager. Basically, I was a 33 year old manager for the, you know, a bunch of 18 year olds, all, 18 year old all Americans were talking, Mitch McGarry, Gary Harris were talking. You know, James Robinson, who was a four-year starter at Pitt, who was one of the players from DeMatha. Um, Kevin Boyle, uh, currently in Montford, was a head coach. He was at St. Patrick's. And Mike Jones, who is now at University of Maryland, he was my boss at DeMatha Catholic. He was the assistant coach. So long story short, um, I'm from this way. My parents live here in Beaverton, Oregon. So it was a chance for me to come home and just volunteer and be around the team for a year. And then as luck would have it, I, I end up joining the University of Portland coaching staff a year later. And so I had a chance to be stay involved and help with the what they call the practice squad, which has become a, a, a legend in, in an urban or I don't know, urban legend. But, you know, that, for the draft nerds, you know, the Portland Generals is quite <laughs> a underground uh, legendary yeah. squad that that gets assembled every year. Well, you know, my first year, 2012, we didn't have one. So I'm out there trying to, you know, play dummy defense against, you know, Mitch McGarry and Shabazz. <laughs> who is it? Shabazz Muhammad? Is that mm -hmm. the yep. UCLA player? Yep. Yeah. Bishop Gorman, you know, so um, the game has come quite a ways since then. But all that history to tell you, last year was the first time I made a conscious decision to, you know, hop over to the world team. You know, and, and a lot of it, I think, you know, as I was contemplating the move out away from Lake Oswego as well, it was um, just trying to really get back into my roots of having started with the NBA folks back in 2006 when I volunteered at the Basketball Without Borders camp. You know, I, I had a chance to start really, you know, I say my coaching career started in Harlem, but it really took off when I was living in Africa. And, and a big part of that I owe to the Basketball Without Borders family. You know, I got to see Amadou Gallo and Masai Ujiri and, and you know, um, Brooks Mee, Kim Buhaney, all these people just uplifting all these African players, 
you know, is one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. The Kimbe Mutombo, who was a fixture, obviously, in the basketball scene there, you know, had built a hospital in Congo. And and it was really the first time I got to see where basketball can truly impact a life. And it's one thing for us living in America to see the impact of it, but a life-changing thing for some of these players from Senegal and Angola and, you know, Cote d'Ivoire and all the countries to, you know, a handful of them to have a chance to come to the States and, and gain a college education. And, you know, many of those players I still keep in touch with, with to this day. So um, all that long winded to say that I, I really wanted to kind of get back to that roots. Um, I've, you know, I've worked for Yao Ming for his foundation camps and just knew that the game is going global. And I wanted, you know, to have a platform where if I'm able to work with some of the best players, like you said, from the world, uh, what more of an impact could I have in the off season when I'm overseas and running clinics and meeting with coaches and, and growing in the game and hopefully taking aspects of what's happening outside of the U S and try to bring it back here and be a bridge builder of sorts. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, long, long winded. Um, I did get to chance, you know, just Caleb, same thing. I think, you know, Caleb was born and raised here in Laredo. So it was a, it was a chance for him to honor his father who had immigrated from Mexico. For me, I'm an immigrant. I came when I was 10. And so I think though that was a really neat experience in that before, you know, the head coach was Roy Rana, right? And he would come in from Canada. But it, I think it's an indication again of how advanced our country has become and how really we we become a home for the best players in yeah. the world. And what happens now is the best players in the world are starting to come earlier and earlier. So they're coming to all the prep schools across the country at 16, 17, 18. So, you know, you're talking about some of the players who are on the roster who had been going to the prep schools in the States for yeah. you know, quite a bit of time. And I believe that statistics for this year's roster, last year's roster, which had 13 players, which is unique. You, normally we have 12, but 11 of the 13 had been playing in the prep schools in the States. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not sure where the balance will move till towards in future years, but it's an indication that a lot of the better players in the world are already here. Mm -hmm. They're being discovered earlier and whether they're ending up in Europe under one of the, you know, the Barcelona's or the Real Madrid's or, or those kinds of programs versus, you know, the NBA Academy obviously has a lot of players that they're tracking and helping and, and the rest of them are ending up here, you know, one way or another in, in prep schools all across the country. So, um, in terms of camaraderie and chemistry, I think it was quicker to establish than other years that we observed. Mm. Um, but the biggest thing I take away from Coach Canales is he's just a consummate professional. If I have 20 years of experience in high school and youth basketball, he has 20 years in the NBA, you know. Mm. So um, it was awesome just to kind of see how the tempo and the pacing and, and how he kept, you know, he wasn't over coaching, I would say. I think he, he understood the time of the year where a lot of guys were banged up. You know, yeah. they're tired and and the world team generally comes into town three days before the U.S. So on one hand, it's a huge advantage in terms mm -hmm. of game preparation and whatnot. But in, a, in another in the hands of a, somebody not as experienced as Coach Canales, like you could burn out your players, yeah. you know, come game time. So um, just getting to see how he managed that. I think he managed it like he did, you know, in his professional stops and he understood that less is more. Mm. But that less, you know, the 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 tight, you know, window of time that we have for practice, there was no wasted time. Mm. And we got to work and we got out. Yeah. Um, so that was really it was important for me to see as a high school coach. I think we tend to overcoach and overteach and <laughs> talk a lot like I'm doing on your podcast right now. Um, <laughs> but I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. Like if I'm really in a in a practice setting. Um, we had phenomenal assistant coaches, Akachi, uh, who's, you know, who's with with the Sacramento Kings before, and he was an assistant coach with Canales, Coach Canales and Coach Rana. He, you know, he came and did all the video and, and worked on our defensive schemes. And, you know, we had Zach Gonzalez, who was a GA back in the day, University of Oregon, who's working on professional players. He came up and volunteered. So and even that part's really involved evolved you know we may not have like official coaches on roster but we had so many volunteers and student managers who were rebounding it it really felt like an operation that mm -hmm. you know i think going back to 2012 when i was the student manager <laughs> wiping the floor and being a practice player it's um it's it's become quite a production yeah, so. yeah. i i think you know um 
I actually, I, you know, I, I was watching those practices so intently and I, I was taking things back and I was like, Oh, I can, you know, use this for, for my own team. And I, I think one of the interesting things you guys were doing is, you know, you would be going over, you know, skill work or whatever. And then you would throw in like eight minute scrimmages in yeah. not like at the end of a practice or whatever, it would be like, you know, in, in different spurts. Yes. And that, that was really cool. And, uh, you know, I remember specifically you were going over some kind of skill thing and Mackenzie and Baco like executed it in that next little scrimmage. And we were like, oh, wow, like it really allowed for the players to take what they were working on in individual skill drills and then put it into practice immediately. So it's not something that it's almost like because, you know, high school kids, sometimes their attention span. It's hard to uh, sometimes like when you see some of these kids who are six, seven, and you know, they look like they're 25 already physically, you forget that they're 17, 18 years old. And like, you know, a lot of times it can go in one ear out the other for kids. Um, but having those scrimmages in spurts throughout the, the practices really, I felt like allowed them to really hone in on the skills that you were working on in the practices. So I I thought that was really cool. And it's something that, you know, I took back with me back to New York. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, skills, definitely some skill component of it. They, the players just love that, right? They, I mean, they, they're one of the 13 selected for a reason. You know, we didn't have any kid who was lazy about, you know, getting those reps. So they, they thrived on those that time because it's me time, like a, it's time for them, right? Mm. Um, but skills aside, it was also like being really intentional about the shots that they're getting, right? Because those are the shots that that's going to translate, right? Um you know, for McKenzie, it was a lot of catch and shoots. But then, you know, what do you do when you're being chased off the line, right? So it's a one dribble pull up, and and you know, yeah, I, I thought I thought he again he was if when you see him, when you saw him, it's you know we did have the benefit that he got to play for back to back years, right? So you you also see a young man who's kind of figuring it out and and knowing knowing the cadence and the rhythm of the the week long practices and and. You know, in that sense, it's a really cool experience for these kids to be treated like professionals. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, Coach, I remember, you know, we were there last year and Corey just, he was raving about the practices that you guys were running because mm-hmm. we got to see both, right? We got to see Team yeah. USA, we got to see the world. And, um, you know, definitely everything that you're talking about, the energy, the professionalism. And, and, and I think that's such an important point because... If we're being honest with ourselves, coach, when it comes to these types of exhibitions, and you said you had 13 players, the world had, you know, however many, and it's, these kids are there and their goal in life is pretty singular, right? They want to get to the highest level possible. They want to play with the greatest players on planet earth, and they want to be the absolute best. And Mm -hmm. I I think along those lines, something that, you know, I I wrote in our outline that I sent you earlier, and that it has me thinking a lot because you guys are working with these youth students, right? junior high, high school, whatever, we can't, like, as much as you guys want to get into the nitty gritty and coach them about, you know, details and, you know, like the micro stuff with them, I I feel like all of them ultimately have the NBA in mind. And it's like Mm -hmm. that big gorilla in the room that you cannot ignore, right? It's the NBA. Mm -hmm. That's where they all want to get to. And something that, and I guess this is a question for both of you guys. And and I love this because I, even when we do our pods and we're doing player breakdowns, I like to throw in questions for Coach Corey to kind of, you know, get on his soapbox and talk about. But what I want to ask both of you guys is, with that in mind, right, with the NBA always kind of being this like overarching thing and this goal that all the players are looking for, how much of an influence do you see that with your players? And how much of of that is both beneficial and also difficult as you guys are trying to get these players to be the best possible players that they can be? How much of it, like the NBA, right, and the goal and the mission of getting there, how much does that benefit the players, but also at times, you know, can it be an obstacle or like a stumbling block for them? Gotcha. Well, this is an so easy you're answer at, you're for me because yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, none of the kids that I coach really have the NBA <laughs> in mind. For, <laughs> right. for my kids, right. it would mostly be like, um, you know, getting to a, a junior college, um, you know, or D3 situation. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that can, you know, I don't know if they're so distracted by that as much because, you know, the, the end goal there is like also, do they have the major that I need to, 
you know, <laughs> sign up for in order to like maybe get the the job that I want when I'm older. So I think it's a little different um, than like working with, you know, the absolute top tier talent, not only in, you know, the, the high school classes and uh, domestically, but, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, like Zachary, Richage is now the projected number one pick on ESPN's board. And he was somebody who was, you know, on the, that world team. Right. So like getting to work with, with that kind of uh, pendulum is, is a little different from, from my job right. than, you know, what, you know, coach you were tasked with, um, with, with the hoop summit team. Yeah. But you know, my, my day to day at Lake Oswego was no diff- not much different than yours, Corey, I think. You know, eight years, I, I produced maybe two Division One basketball players, a couple other D, D2s, and a handful of D3s. So, you know, I think kids are realistic in that sense. And those, those who are delusional, you don't need to beat them down because the, the game, the truth fears no questions. The game <laughs> will tell you if, you, if you're good enough or not. Um, two things come to mind as you're asking that question. I think, you know, I had last year, I had a really good – basketball player or sophomore winners Grady who's now competing as a junior at on prolific prep right so we're talking about you know again with the NIL you know now being open not just in collegiately but in our state of Oregon NIL is available to high school players as well and so a lot of a lot of you know old school coaches are lamenting it what is the world coming to but the bottom line is you know, for basketball, we're behind the times. Like you have 15 year old gym- gymnasts getting NILs or, you know, mm. professional contracts. So in that sense, it, w- what I've seen is truly a separation between those who want it or I'm pursuing it. Right. Like who am I to judge, you know, like when there's Grady, I saw him suiting up in the starting lineup against Montfer for the second round of their matchup this year. I mean, he's on the floor with Cooper flag, Liam McNeely, He's got Zoom Diallo and AJ DeBonso on his side, Tyrone Stokes, you know, and, and he's the, he's, you know, getting a chance to compete at the highest level. Right. So um, I think those who have that ambition, you know, and again, like his measurements not aren't, you know, plus two, plus four, whatever. Right. He doesn't jump out to gym. So he, he has to lean on his skills and, you know, elite skill is shooting, but you know, there's, there's so many of those players across the country. So you're, that's that's a real challenging thing right and uh, and you know when kids are choosing into that path where you're gonna have to face adversity and failure on a regular basis and then if you come on the other side of that hard and and you have you've given yourself a chance to compete for a roster spot i mean that's a miracle (laughs) you know for any kid like playing in america that is a miracle like there's so few and so um I think anytime we come across those kids with that dream, you can't squash it. But at the same time, you have to tell them the reality of it and you have to remind them. And the flip side of that is, you know, for our world team roster, for example, you know, the guys who are in the top five pre-draft, you know, lists are the Rizzo Shays and the Cody Williams. Well, both Cody and Zachary had a subpar showing at the Hoop Summit. Yeah. Right. And yeah, so it's about a it. reminder. Yeah. It's one game. Everybody <laughs> calm down. <laughs> you know, Alex Tui didn't play that much and he was just okay. And he didn't answer the question of, hey, is he athletic enough? Well, you know what? He's down in the NBL doing just fine. You know, and, and in, in his own time, because who he is, who his parents are, who his coaches were, if he has, you know, all the right foundations. It might not happen this year. It might not happen next year. Shoot, he might be a Joe Ingles, you know, late bloomer in the league, mm. right? Um, and so I think just that we're, we live in such an impatient world. We want to judge right away. Yeah. And again, I'll take this away from me. I'll steal this from Coach Canales every, all day, every day, because, you know, I, I grew up in the Hoop Summit game, so I, I revere it. There's a certain level of respect for it, the awe of it every time I do it, you know, that I, I, I have to take a step back and pinch myself that I get to be a part of this game. Um, and I think that's also – that could be a trap for somebody like me because I'm elevating the importance of this game more to these players more than maybe what it is. Coach Canales did this thing. We had a whiteboard, and he just drew a long line. I don't, I don't I can't be on the screen. He drew a long line on the board. And he just was putting dashes alongside it. And it's like your timeline as a basketball player. 
and he just goes, see this? <laughs> this is one night. Mm. Like, it's a big game. It's an important game. It's a fun game. But it's one night. Like, this doesn't determine all the other basketball games you're going to have mm. moving forward. You know, and even if you play bad, like, it's not going to determine if, you know, you're going to play in the league or EuroLeague or NBL or KBL <laughs> or wherever. <laughs> You know, if you're good, you're going to, it's going to work out. And I thought that was such a important message for these guys to hear, you know, yeah. and given, given that, like, there's so much pressure on these guys at 17, 18, 19 already, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and <sighs> like you, you know, mentioned Cody Williams, like, I think he played like three minutes yeah. Yeah, in the actual game itself. Yeah. And, and his brother was upset. <laughs> his brother was, Jalen was upset, yep. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> You know, because and especially when you are young, you do. I I feel like moments like these, you know, sometimes when you're a kid, like a certain moment can impact you and feel like it's the biggest moment of your life or the end of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, for a game like this where you are working out, practicing for as long as you are, and you know, to go through that, um, you know, it it can really. Uh, you know, make you want to work harder to prove everybody wrong, or you can fold. And, you know, to somebody like Cody's credit, he got no shine in this game, then, you know, kind of struggled in the FIBA tournament. And yeah. now he's a projected, you know, top three to five pick and he's the number one prospect on some boards. So, you know, I, I think that timeline is something that's really important for these players, knowing that it is just a dash on that line. Um, and it's important and you can learn a lot and, you know, you can make an impact. Obviously, you know, you look up and down in that building at the Blazers practice facility and it's the who's who and, you know, the NBA. Right. And that's a lot of pressure in and of itself. Um, Cause in a lot of ways it's, you know, for the players, those practice settings are probably more important than the game itself. Right. Cause those are the, the decision makers who are seeing you up, up close. A lot of them probably for like the first time. Um, but yeah, it, it can, it it's just a dash at the end yeah. of the day in, in a very long road of the process. And, you know, when, with what we do, taking a one game sample of anything and making a definitive conclusion from it is, you know, irresponsible yeah. for, you know, for what we do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a it's a complicated process, but yeah, sometimes you do have to kind of like you did move back a little bit and, and take the, the, you know, big view on it. Right. right. Yeah. And, and Corey, you know, to your point, you know, we mentioned Risa Shea, we mentioned Cody Williams and they didn't play too well and they're having great seasons right now on the opposite end. We had guys that were a little bit more like prolific during that game. And then mm-hmm. now in their freshman seasons, it's not going exactly how they probably planned. And we're hoping like, you know, just to name some guys like Justin Edwards, as we've mentioned, Corey, he was like number one on our preseason big board. He's wow. having a tough freshman season, right? Yeah. Um, guys like Isaiah Collier hasn't been perfect this year. Um, the list goes on and on of these guys. DJ yeah. Wagner, another name, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's interesting. Even for them, now the narrative is shifting. And we're seeing their names drop or plummet even down certain big boards and mock drafts and whatever. Another guy, Ron Holland, right, is another name. And, uh, you know, he played really, really well during that game and was hustling and doing all kinds of stuff. And yet... You know, this season for him at the G for the G League Ignite has been a bit of a roller coaster, right? Some highs and some real lows for him. And I think even for these guys, as Corey, you and I are uh, draft evaluators, right? And we're trying to project these guys and what they'll look like on the next level. We also, and I, this is something that I have to remind myself of all the time, is on the other end of the spectrum for guys like I just listed, just because they have a terrible freshman season or a not so successful freshman season doesn't mean that their basketball careers are over. doesn't mean that, you know, suddenly, you know, we're projecting them as number one options. And now we're projecting them to be like the last guy on the bench of the NBA one day or to never make the NBA. And I think like that type of bird's eye view or like a macro type of vision for these kids is a really important aspect of what we do as well. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, coach, um, we're really looking forward to the 2024 uh, Nike Hoop Summit for good reason, right? There are some 
incredibly exciting names uh, at the top of both rosters, I think, or um, at least for the U.S. roster is kind of like where our focus is. And actually, Coach, I think this was back in Christmas, around Christmas time. You did an IG Live and you were at, you know, a restaurant with some friends and you guys were talking a little bit about Cooper Flag and, you know, oh, different my goodness. names. Right. So, Coach, my question for you, and this is, you know, a really exciting one for us because, you know, we're making plans right now to be there for the 2024 Hoop Summit. Hopefully okay. we can see you out there. Maybe we can uh, go get some food or something. But wanted to ask you about this upcoming class because the names are incredible, right? Um, obviously, the headliner there is going to be Cooper Flag, but wanted to get some of your insight on this class maybe how it stacks up to some of the other classes you've seen and, you know, maybe some names that um, maybe aren't like the high, high names, but right. maybe we have to continue to keep on the radar for us as well. I'm sure you're putting me on the spot because now <laughs> it's been, it's been a little while since, you know, I've worked with this class, right. Yeah. Um, Cooper, obviously the last mini camp I got to do was October two years ago. So the irony of that is, you know, I got to work with Aiden Holloway, and so that was my last involvement with the U U.S. Junior National Team. And we had Aiden Holloway and Omaha Bilyeu, right? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. his last name? Omaha. Yeah. Um, since his sophomore year, I believe. Um, Omaha played for the world team and actually flipped over to the U.S. team for the Hoop Summit game. And Aiden had been at the USA mini camp. And we were kind of laughing about it that both of us had, you know, had been at the U.S. camp. And, you know, we were both suiting up for the world team in, in the next game. Um, so yeah, I, I think just, just a few of those guys like Cooper I've known since his freshman year. Um, wow. so I'm, to be honest with you, I'm not super familiar with this roster. Mm. Um, you know, if anything, I'm probably a little bit more familiar with the, with the world team roster because okay. I've been paying attention to it more. For sure. Um, For sure. but we know that the, you know, they're going to be coached by Charmin White, which, you know, I, I turned 48 this year and, um, you know, I'm a dragon, that, so that means I'm a dragon. So this is, you know, I've been saying, ah, this is a big year for me professionally, and it's the year of the dragon. It's really the year of the Charmin White. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's going to coach in the McDonald's game. You know, he'll be the U17 head coach, uh, you know, going for gold again um, and coaching in the Hoop Summit games. So, you know, and he's got Frank Bennett and Nick Logaba, who were assistants last year, coming back to assist. I think so. Let me just start there since I'm I'm buying time basically as I was pulling up the <laughs> roster. Um, you Industry know, secret. Um, there and and you know like that's that coaching is so much of it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where Coach Rana, who did it for ten years, had such an advantage because it was like clockwork. You had to get into the rhythm of it. And you know, to me, I mean, Coach Steve Turner, first time Hoop Summit coach last year, did a phenomenal job. You know, I can only imagine. You know. Normally there's 12 on the roster, there's 13, you know, just all the adjustments that he must have had to make, you know, in a short amount of window for both Coach Bennett and Logabo. That was their first assignment, you know, for the Hoop Summit game. So, you know, we 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 definitely on the when we were prepping on the world side that we had a chance to, you know, steal that game, even though the roster maybe wasn't as in, you know, balances in previous years. But um, you know, they got, you know, USA basketball got the W and now we're, you know reloading with a two assistant coach who have the experience um coming back you got Sharman white who's coached the junior national team and he was he was around for the weekend as well to just kind of take in because it's it's that's a huge adjustment you know no matter what you've done professionally as a high school coach you look out into the trailblazers facility and you see every single gm yeah. you know you you just kind of if you're not if that's your first time you it takes a certain level of focus and and the ability to just block off block out all that noise you know is it's it's an adjustment um but yeah just looking over you know i, I know asa knew a little bit you know Jaden, um ian jackson from the your neck of the woods new york city yeah um those are the players i'm familiar with um, actually David born Steele. in my town is he now yeah well, out on long island yeah that's amazing his cousin i taught at a charter school in harlem wow which is wild but Incredible. you know uh small world but yeah, I think it's typical USA basketball roster. They can full court press. They can get after it. The guard play is going to be really elite. Mm -hmm. um, and then you get the Ace Baileys and the, the Cooper flags who are just, you know, like lock, lockdown lottery picks. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, I think it, a lot of it will come down to the matchup. A lot of it will come down to guard play. 
um, over the years, you know, I, we, I mentioned Aiden Holloway. When I saw him on the world team roster, I thought he was going to have a big game. I just seen historically over the years, guys who can really shoot it, you know, and, and our playmakers can, can, can handle being in that big NBA court with the 24 second shot clock. I think those guys have really stood out over the years. You know, I'm talking Darius Garland, you know, mm -hmm. when I was helping with USA mm -hmm. basketball on the other side was like somebody who came off the bench, unassuming looking, you know, not, not much different than Aiden hit huge three-pointers to keep USA in the game. Um, I'm thinking back to like Terrence Ferguson, if you guys remember him, t Ferg, yep. yep. set the game record. You know, I think he had like seven threes. I'm making that a five to seven threes. Um, and so I think the the shooting is at a premium. You know, all the best players are out there. If you, But if you're open and you can knock them down, I think that's a huge, you know, difference maker. And then, yeah, it just comes down to, you know, Tyus Jones was steady as ever. Um, I still have nightmares about, um, who's our German point guard? Uh, why am I blinking on his name? Uh, the devilish, uh, Ooh, uh, what is his name? Um, uh, play for the Lakers for now his contract. Uh, just play with Dennis the Schroeder. Schroeder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Schroeder was, you know, when they say Dennis the menace, I mean, I saw that firsthand when, when he was mm. giving our U S guards the business, like. You know, he couldn't be pressured, right? So Dennis Schroeder, you know, is somebody that comes to mind. So, um, Coach, were you around for Jokic? I was, yeah. I mean, I, rem I think I'm trying to remember. Was that was Jokic and Towns in the same team? Was that the same year? I think so. Yeah, I Pretty remember sure, just, yeah. I mean, the world team has traditionally had so many bigs, you know, and you just, all the big bodies just blur after a while. <laughs> just the Eastern European bigs. It's just another face in the crowd, like everybody said, you know, um, and especially because Cat was on, you know, on the team as well, I think. Right. So you just, and Don Maker, I, yeah. am I crazy? Was Don Maker on that team? Was that the same year? I could check. You can double check. I just, you know, that it all blurs at this point, but yeah, no, Corey, if you're asking me if I remember Jokic, no, I do not. It's it's funny Again, how that, that works out. Right? Dashed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. It's funny. I'm going to I'm actually gonna go see Cooper this weekend. He's playing at Hofstra uh, okay. uh against Luhai, which will be oh, uh, that's, oh, that's yeah, a big one. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a big game. Um I, mean, I saw and it's funny, I, I saw Montford last year and you know, like even with those big prep schools, like you look at a guy like Cooper who's been projected, you know, top two guy for, for years now. And he was coming off the bench and, you know, playing behind, you know, Sean Stewart and, yeah. and, you know, all the guys, because Montvert, you know, those teams, those prep schools, they're all loaded with guys that are going to Duke and yeah. wherever, wherever else. Right. And it's, it's funny seeing a guy like Cooper, almost like have to wait his turn. Right. You know, as the, the underclassman um, playing behind the guys, he, he really didn't even play that many minutes in the game hmm. that I saw him in. Um, okay. So, but it's, uh, it, I'm going to enjoy getting to watch that context of seeing him, you know, in that context coming off the bench is, you know, a, yeah. a sophomore, I guess he was last year. And then, you know, now this year kind of being kind of aged and then following that, getting to see him, you know, in, in practice settings at the hoop summit and in, in that context, um, you know, and that I'm, I'm looking forward to that because he's obviously a really talented, uh, talented dude. And he's going to be, playing with a bunch of other talented guys. And I always like seeing how those guys mesh with all of that talent. And maybe, you know, for, for the Montverde guys and those big prep schools where every single player can really hoop. Um, maybe it's a little easy to mesh together with other top talent, but it's, it's a interesting recipe getting, throwing a bunch of guys together who really have not played much together. Right. And, yeah. and now they're, for the first time, even with a week or, you know, even if they'd played in the McDonald's game and, you know, they're, it's tough. It's a tough situation to see how they, they handle it. Um, and I'd imagine, especially for maybe the world team too, because now you're throwing potentially like different language barriers in mm -hmm. potentially. Right. And like being around that, is that something that you found challenging at all? Like, I, like, I don't know how much English yeah. Zach, yeah. Zachary Riche speaks, mm. you know, like yeah, he was, he was fluent. He had no issues. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was great. Um, 
and again, like I, I told you that this last year, I think was an anomaly in that 11 out of 13. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. you know, I think that's the way the world is going now. So, um, you know, it would be fun to have a player from, you know, a Spanish speaking country who doesn't speak and, you know, trying to figure it out. And, you know, when he does eventually make it, just, you know, be able to tease him about it, you know, five, six years later, if he's carved out a career in the league. But um, no, we, yeah, we didn't, we didn't run across that issue last year. Zach was, Zach cracked jokes, you know, so it was good. Coach, I just pulled up the 2014 hoop summit. Looks like we had Carl Anthony Towns was there, Nikola Jokic, Clint Capella mm-hmm. uh, was a name. Uh, on right. the U.S. side, there was like uh, Miles Turner, Jalil Okafor, um, yeah, Justice Winslow. Pretty good class, you know. Emmanuel yeah. Moutier. Uh, the U.S. won that game, correct? Yeah. 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 I remember because I, I, I think my coach Jones was involved. I can't remember who was who were the coaches for the U.S. team that year. Mm. Give me one second. Does it say the sheet that I'm looking at? I I only remember because I went and got voodoo donuts. I had <laughs> that was my task, one of my <laughs> many tasks of the week on the support staff. So I was handing out victory donuts post game. So yeah. How early do you have to get there to to make the uh, the the scheduling work? Well, you know, actually, I think I delegated, which a good operations guy will always do. So I had a friend of mine pick him up, and then I got him to the locker room. <laughs> so that was a W. Yeah. Pop quiz for both of you guys. Who do you think was the leading scorer in the 2014 Nike Hoop Summit, if you had to guess? Oh, Moutier. There it is. Emmanuel yeah. Moutier had yeah. 20 points in that game. Yeah, he was really good yeah. in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, things didn't exactly pan out for him in the NBA. In the NBA but um, well, he, he had his first. moments, though. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did with the Knicks. Yeah. With the Knicks, Coach Visdale saying, "You know, mud will get you right," is what he said in his <laughs> opening press conference. <laughs> <laughs> but Coach, uh, we did want to say I, I know we're kind of you know getting tight on time now. But um, yeah. before we close, something that and this is something that I picked up from Bill Simmons uh, this season. You know, before Doc Rivers went and got hired by the Milwaukee Bucks, he'd have uh, Doc Rivers on his pod every other week, and huh. something that he would always close the pod with, he'd be like, "Coach Doc." You know, give me give me a story, man. Like you've coached in the NBA so long. You've met, you know, you've coached incredible players, Hall of Famers, blah, blah, blah. Coach, I, I'd like to say that you've coached a lot of people, a lot of players all over the globe. Just if you can give us, whether it's, you know, across the globe or even at Lake Oswego would be a great, um, you know, place to maybe pull a story from. If you can just share a story with us about either like an interesting player or an interesting game, either someone you coached or coached against something for us uh, before we wrap things up. Oh, wow. That's a tough one. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, again, locally people have heard this, heard me tell, tell this story many times, but you know, my, my rude awakening into the high school scene in Oregon was my first year uh, at Lake Oswego was the 2015, 16 season, which coincided with Peyton Pritchard's senior year <laughs> at Westland mm-hmm. from the mean streets, just across the corner here from Lake Oswego where next door neighbors rivalry game. Um, and they were the number one ranked team that year, super balanced. They had a big uh, Brooks to Bishop who was at, ended up being a division one basketball player in Northern Arizona. They had, you know, a few others, you know, Jaden Grant, Brian Grant's son who ended up being, you know, a, converting to a college cornerback and now is playing for the Raiders. So just like an embarrassment of riches. And then there's Peyton, who's just the biggest, one of the biggest dogs I've ever known. Um, Talk about adversity. I saw him get cut from the U16, 17 tryouts, you know, um, even though he performed well, but again, he was undersized. He's not somebody who was going to be able to, you know, pressure these overseas FIBA guards with the 24 second shot clock. And, you know, um, and so anyhow, I, I've seen him go through his ups and downs. Um, unfortunately for me, <laughs> his career high in high school basketball at 45 points came against me on our Lake Oswego floor. So um, <laughs> I always hang on to that just as a little piece of humble pie that, you know, ultimately it just comes down to the players who can make the plays. Uh, I thought I schemed really well and prepped really well if I'm patting myself on the back. 
uh, had had him with three fouls and you know like eight points at halftime, bottled him up. Maybe we're only down five and we have no business being down five. And hmm. thought for a split second that uh, we had a chance of winning, stealing this game. And uh, Peyton comes out around the locker room and our gym setup at Lake Oswego is the visiting team has to walk across the home home bench because the locker room is in the same hallway. And my three assistant coaches saw the look on Peyton's face as I was sitting on the bench, tapped me on the shoulder and said, he got that look, coach. I don't know. <laughs> and, and sure enough, a 35-point, 37-point barrage of threes and isos later, um, yeah, he had his career high. And I think at around the 40th point, he made some ridiculous shot, and I just laughed out loud. Um, I was like, come on, man. This is just abuse. And... You know, it was pretty traumatizing for for my point guards who I left on an island. Um, Jeez. So we and so my my players and I we can all laugh about it all these years mm-hmm. later, which is again a reminder that this is a game, yeah, and uh, it should be enjoyed as such. That's We're gonna have to go and uh, check out Synergy to see if that game is uh, uh, it's out there. available to watch. Sure it's out there. I will Coach. send you a huddle download if you would like. <laughs> Welcome Absolutely. to it. No, right before we close, just because Corey and I, we were big fans of Peyton Pritchard when he was, you know, entering the draft. We were both like, we don't care that he's older. We don't care that he spent a couple of years at Oregon. We're watching his tape and we're like, this guy's an absolute dog. He's an absolute shot maker, a guy who is, you know, will power over talent all day long. Like we would sign up to have this guy on our roster every day of the week. Before we can close, if you could just give us a really quick scouting report just from like what you saw back then. Like who was Peyton Pritchard as a player, strengths, weaknesses, whatever. What were you how were you game planning for him? I mean, I you know it's funny because like it's like let just let me dig deeper, guys. I mean thanks, you know, like it was my fault <laughs> just even bringing this up. So I blame myself. You know, I, I've lost track of how many times that people you know I'm like Call the West Lane coaches and ask them, you know. <laughs> um, I, the, the lore of Peyton in our neck of the woods is insane because mm. just it's not just a – it's everybody can do – like, you know, if you put him and and put a scouting tape next to Reed Shepard, I would imagine it's very similar, right? Um, similar comp, size, you know, shooting skills, you know, pedigree, right? Like his – his parents didn't play uh, basketball, but his dad was a football player and his mom was a gymnast in Oklahoma. So some of that, like the athlete gene and just the work ethic that comes with it, you know, he was he was kind of born into. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me more than anything is how he represented his community and really took care of like the kids coming up behind. And so currently there's, you know, the next guy who had to carry the torch and have that burden is Jackson Shellstead. And he's a freshman at like at, at University of Oregon okay. having a very successful year. But this is again like credit to Peyton, you know, same thing. I mean, this is just now you're just making me torment myself all over <laughs> again. But you know, Jackson's sophomore year during our COVID season, we were playing our basketball games in June. We were the last state in the continental United States to be playing games, you know, high school games, senior for seniors who had already graduated, essentially. And so we're playing Westland. Same thing. You know, I think I'm a good enough coach that if if like I, I'm going to make my opponent opposing coach at least make a halftime adjustment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're we're bottled up Jackson. We're within striking range. And he comes out, Jackson comes out gangbusters. And I wouldn't say 35. He must have had like 25 Hmm. and they won the game going away. And I'm leaving the building and there's Peyton Pritchard walking out with me. He's like, hey, you know, we we exchange pleasantries. And and then he has to just kind of, he didn't do this intentionally, but he's like, yeah, coach, I really had to like go into the locker room and really lit into Jackson, (laughs) tell him to wake up. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I'm like, come on, man, like just leave it leave me alone you know, at this point. Like, <laughs> it's one thing to like cost me a game when you're playing but yeah. you know to go and challenge the next guy up but i think that speaks to who he is he really cares about you know the legacy and his little brothers and and i think, I think that's what just makes him really special i think any community that can have him is lucky to have him the celtics got him now maybe we'll get the, the blazers will you know get a sniff at him down the line who knows 
But, Sounds uh, like you needed Kevin Love to come into your locker room and, and light your guys up. Light my guys up. Yeah, I, I take that. <laughs> no, not to be. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Coach, we really, really, this, this has been incredible. I mean, conversations of youth sports to the Hoop Summit to Peyton Pritchard just tormenting you has been incredible. And, um, you know, Coach, I, I think for us, you know, this is, as you mentioned, we're like NBA draft nerds and yeah. these types of conversations, because like for Corey and I, you know, week after week, we're talking about player X and what they can do, things that they need to work on. But I mean, these types of conversations are also so valuable as well, because this is a side that I think a lot of times, whether it's the media and how they portray basketball and the youth system and players and whatever, or it's even people like us that just focus kind of like off of what we see off tape, whatever. I think this type of context, um, contextual um, explanation of what all this is, is so important as well. And I think this has been such a valuable conversation for us to kind of see your side as, on the coaching side and also your wealth of experience everywhere. And so um, just really appreciate you joining us and giving us your time because it's been awesome for us. And uh, before we go, Coach, if you can kind of give us, uh, you know, Anything you're working on, anything that's, you know, in the lab, what's next for you, that type of stuff before we close out. Yeah, there's there's too many. I <laughs> I have I think the range, you know, this again, this this year's been a lot about folk feeding my uh starving my distractions, feeding my focus. So I think a lot of that has to do with working with coaches and helping coaches, you know, succeed, share a little bit of the secret sauce of what we had we were able to do at Lake Oswego in a short period of time. So anybody who's interested, if you're a coach, you know, you're struggling or having a hard time or, you know, um, want to think about how to be a community builder, um, you know, any any of the coaches out there are always welcome to reach out. Um, I have a website, it's just my full name, marshallcho.com. Um, I've been offering up a lot of clinics and camps and, and things of that nature, um, but also just working on a few projects where I, I'd like to have a bigger impact in Asia. You know, I'd like to help the players there. I'd like to work with the coaches there. I think... The city of Portland, you know, we've taken a lot of beating over the over the COVID period, you know, um, just maybe some negative press about, you know, the state of our downtown. But I think that's that's just the case across the country. But um, Portland as a whole, I think, is a super underrated basketball city. We have an NBA franchise. We have Nike right in our backyard. You know, we have the Adidas World Headquarters. Uh, U.S. Headquarters is also here, Under Armour. Um, we have Widen and Kennedy you know, a marketing agency that's done so much, you know, so much influential work in the sports industry. Um, and then all the colleges at the D1, D2, D3 levels. So I think I I would love to see, be a part of like helping Portland come up and see if this is a place where we can bring coaches and players. And again, the fact that we have the best post, you know, high school season all-star game is a good starting point. Um, so you know, I, I already have a handful of friends, coaching friends who are flying in to observe and learn. But, you know, beyond that, I think the Hoop Summit is just a reminder of how special the city is in terms of basketball. So hopefully I got some future projects down the line that will, you know, I'll be able to highlight and showcase. Got it. Awesome. That sounds yeah, great. I, I, well, whenever um, you have those to showcase, if you want to talk to them and you want a platform, you're always invited back on ours. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys.